This week's episode is brought to you by FOCO USA. FOCO is the official face covering of the Iowa Hawkeyes, and if you've been watching Iowa football at all this year, you've seen the new Hawkeye face coverings and neck gaiters that the players and coaches have been wearing, and FOCO was even nice enough to send some out to myself and Thad, and they look great, and they're definitely the most high-quality face mask that I've had since this whole thing started, and if you wanted to grab one for yourself, feel free to head over to FOCO.com and even tell them that the All Eyes crew sent you. What's up, all of you beautiful people, and welcome back to the All Eyes Podcast. And Thad and I are once again back to talk about another Iowa win, but this one proved to be a little bit tougher against the Nebraska Cornhuskers. And to be honest, from my perspective, it was unexpected, but Thad kind of nailed it last week in his analysis. So I'll let him take away, you know, what were your sort of thoughts or just your general observations from that matchup? The first thing was that Nebraska, especially in the first half, did some different things defensively to limit Iowa's run game. And uh, we heard from players and coaches after the game talking about how uh, Nebraska mixed up some fronts and mixed up some gap responsibilities. And it took until halftime for the Hawkeyes to really figure out uh, how they wanted to go against that. And it's an Iowa team that we've watched this year and know if they're not running the ball effectively, the offense all of a sudden has some limits. And while in the first quarter, once again, we saw a big first quarter from, from Spencer Petras. Uh, Yardage-wise, accuracy was good. But as the game wears on, that has just seemed to drop off. And we saw Iowa's offense really struggle at times in the first half, getting much momentum. And defense was giving up chunk yardage, which is very atypical for that defense. But in typical Iowa and Nebraska fashion at halftime, adjustments. Uh, Tyler Goodson, 19 carries over 80 yards in the second half. The uh, defense gets a turnover. Special teams gets a turnover. So we saw this Nebraska team that part of why you and many others predicted might be a blowout. They can't hang on to the ball. They give it away all the time. They avoided that for three quarters. And then in the fourth quarter, Nebraska showed up and they turned the ball over twice and Iowa did enough offensively uh, to get a six point win. Yeah. And I, you opened it and um, at least you opened up with talking about it, but I think it's kind of like the major storyline from this game. And that was that Iowa really struggled to run the ball for the first time all year. And honestly, I I'm going to credit Nebraska's defense for that entirely. I mean, yeah, you said that um, they were slanting really hard in the first half. And they ended up getting in a lot of running lanes. And it wasn't like Iowa's O-line was making a lot of egregious errors uh, as far as blocking assignments are concerned. They just weren't in the right spots or didn't call the right play for the right time. And it was also aided by Sargent and Goodson in the first half, in my opinion, making some questionable, um, questionable reads just given on, on outside zone. You know, you have three different reads in outside zone. You can follow, you know, where your blocking alignment's going. You can cut vertical or you can cut back. And there were some times where I felt like Sargent and Goodson were both hesitant in the first half, and it led to them getting tackled behind the line of scrimmage just because that first initial option wasn't there. And, you know, 
the O line, I know that got they got a lot of flack this week, but there wasn't really anything that stood out where it's like I Nebraska's getting or just beating down Iowa's O line. You know, there were some pass um, pro reps that stand out as a guy getting whipped on the edge or inside or things like that. But for the most part, I thought it, they played pretty well. Yeah, and I, we've been fortunate this year as Iowa fans that even against eight-man, sometimes nine-man boxes, this offensive line and this run game has still been productive. So against Nebraska, some of those sort of caught up to them. And as you said, credit to Nebraska. The, going into that, they had a really good game plan to try to limit Iowa's run game, put it on Spencer Petras to make plays. And in the second half, they made some adjustments and were able to run the ball consistently enough. And that was the big thing that I saw is that second half, able to get four or five yards on most carries. So all of a sudden it wasn't behind the chains. Like you mentioned that first half, some kind of questionable reads. I think that goes into what, what we mentioned earlier with, they were expecting from film one thing. So the running backs are looking one area thinking that's where it's gonna be. It's not there. So there's hesit they were hesitant. We saw them slip a couple times. Uh, Goodson two or three times slipped. Um, so I think things like that, that just over the course of the game, though, they started to work their way out, and I was able to find some footing. We didn't see a lot of uh, a lot of motion or a lot of you know shotgun two backs, but the second half it was all right. We're going to give it to Tyler Goodson, and we're going to plow ahead and by those last two drives, Iowa was moving the pile. He was able to break, you know, the first tackle and, and even just to get six yards that put the offense in such an open situation, allowed them to do a, look, some play action waggle and swap boot actions that were enough to get not score a touchdown that quarter, but to get the six points to win. And, you know, what I think that did when you can take away Iowa's running game and you said they basically made Spencer try to make plays. And this was the first time all year where I felt like Spencer Petrus's confidence kind of just looked like noticeably dipping throughout the game. And it all really turned on that first pick where, so basically what happened was, yeah, it was a panic pick. Everybody can see that. Um, it's not like that's, that's needing some hard hitting analysis. he, you know, he was dancing in the pocket. He tried rolling out left. He jumped through the pass to nobody except a Nebraska defender, and it got picked. But when you look at how it got there, um, and this was a theme throughout the game, a lot of third and longs because they couldn't get set up with short yard situations on those third downs. And on that specific play, Petrus's first progression was a, a curl out or a stop route to, I believe it was Amir or Ganey, at the bottom of the screen for five yards. So it was about six yards in front of the first down line. And it was there. You know, you have to make the throw if it's designed that way, that play is designed that way, even if it's not necessarily going to pick up the first down. And then he goes to his second progression. That's well covered. And he goes to his full field read. He goes all the way across the field. Those, those positions are covered too. So what does he do? He's in a clean pocket, but he panics. And that happened near the goal line as well where there was a throw that should have been made on the first progression, but it wasn't a first down. And every single time that happened and every single time um, Spencer Petrus was asked to make a play out of structure against Nebraska, it was a disaster. And you saw it as the game went on throws that were just easy lined up throws over the middle of the field. One to Tyron Tracy stands out one to Brandon Smith um, stands out over the middle. 
they were just nosediving. And they were wide open for 10 yards down the field, 15 yards down the field. And this was the first time all year where it really just looked like Spencer Petrus's confidence was shook in the game and it was affecting just routine throws throughout. He looked in all those plays you mentioned, it looks to me like a player who's pressing, who's trying to do something, you know, feels like they're not doing enough. So trying to do something. So as you mentioned on third down, well, if that's the read, make the play and maybe you don't get the first down, but you avoid a mistake and maybe there's a play catches, breaks a tackle and makes something happen. But it looks like somebody who doesn't feel comfortable and who's trying to make more happen on those plays than just letting the play come to him. There was also a play in that fourth quarter. I know another one to Smith on that uh, wide receiver screen. They were in the same play uh, first quarter of the game where they run a uh, kind of misdirection run play action and then pull it back because on film they knew that with that play, Nebraska will send the boundary corner to stop the cutback lane. So they had a great design against it. Fake play action to the misdirection or the counter look, come back to the receiver on the screen with Alaric Jackson pulling. First half, perfect play, hits him, 12-yard gain. Fourth quarter, they dial that one back up. You can see it. He, he has it, and he turns, he looks at him, and he hesitates. He, he kind of double clutches it. And then what happens? Short arms it. Smith has to try to stop to catch it. It's low. He could have been caught, but he's trying to kind of – it's off time, so he's trying to make a play knowing the, the defense is – the defender's coming to him, and it's incomplete. And those are the plays that, as you mentioned earlier, it's a trust issue. Just get it. You fired it in the first quarter. It was perfect. Just let it rip. You know, throw it right through him and make the play. Yeah, and that was another play that um, the ball kind of nosedive on him. And, yeah, he double-clutched it. I know exactly what play you're talking about. And that wasn't even the play I was talking about when I was initially talking about the two nosedive throws. And what was interesting about this game for Spencer is I can't remember, other than that fourth down near the red zone and maybe one other third and short, where Spencer just kind of made a throw that – was a good progression throw, a good read, and it was thrown on the money without the need of a play action sort of inducing linebackers to get sucked up or just throwing a linebacker off their keys and coverage. A lot of the play calls that were successful as far as passing goes in this game were set up by play action. And that's because, you know, even if I was not running the ball well, they're eventually going to run the ball well against your defense, so you got to key in on that. And a lot of those big plays – were set up by play action. And that's sort of been the, the theme of the season, but it was very noticeable in this game that those were the only kind of passing plays that were going to be working in this one. Yeah. The way they were attacking Nebraska with those routes, um, it was going to be the play action, get things on the perimeter. They were able to hit early in the game, Tyler Goodson on a cross, a shallow cross that went for a nice gain. Uh, in my opinion, the best play, my favorite play of the game was, uh, I believe it was maybe third quarter and they had, we're moving the ball and it was a third down. And I think about 11 and Nico Regani ran a whip route perfectly executed. It was, that was one of the best. It was a great route. Uh, Petrus made the perfect throw, got it on his outside hip as he was breaking out and went for a big gain. But outside of those, 
there were just too many inconsistencies. The play action pass that would have been touchdown to Reganey was another one that was a just miss, but perfect play call. Nebraska sucked up on the shallow. It was the right read, but it's a ball that either needs to be put on him or throw it further, throw it to the corner of the end zone with space or with air for him to just run under it. Yeah, and you talk about that whip route to Reganey. That was perfect play design, too, because Laporta sort of created almost a manufactured rub running through that seam, and the linebacker that was um, supposed to be on that whip route sort of got caught up with that safety, and they've been running shower crossers the entire game. So that initial inside action from Reganey sort of sold that inside cross, and the safety was trying to play it over the top, and there was nobody except nobody except running room in front of Reganey when he came back outside. And that's something I really want to talk about. I think we should probably go in depth on this because Brian Ferentz is taking a lot of heat this year. And I mean, that's sort of the nature of the offensive coordinator position when things aren't going perfectly. Right. Um, Is Brian Ferentz the issue is the question because everybody wanted to believe in Peters coming into the year. Obviously there's a lot of talent on offense. We've been talking about it every week. The O-line is really good. Um, so what are your thoughts on Brian Ferentz's performance as a play caller, play designer, and how he's been, how, what, what exactly is his influence on this offense so far in 2020? In general, I like a lot of the things he's, he's done this year. I think they've been creative with formations. Uh, the introduction of the wildcat has been really effective. Um, I like a lot of the things they've done. I wish they would run more of like the pivot routes and, and that, that, or that whip route and things like that, because they've got guys like Reganey, uh, like Tracy, even someone, someone like Amir who are good in space and can make that quick movement. And it's just another route to get those guys with some running room instead of the standard stop route or uh, whether it's a, a fly route, something where they can get the ball and make plays after it, you know, I wish they would run Goodson on some uh, Texas routes that they used to run for Akram Wadley out of the backfield. And there are some things that I wish they did a little bit differently. But at the same time, in general, you look at the general offensive output of this offense, it's been pretty good for the most part. And when you think about the struggles they've had at quarterback that uh, Petrus has just struggled with accuracy and making some, some of the throws that, Okay, if you put those, you know, how the production they had out of Nate Stanley, the offense do the average five to 10 more points a game. And then you're looking at one of the top conference scoring offenses they've had. And I went back just on a quick look to see, well, okay, we know what Petrus is doing this year. What did Nate Stanley do last year in conference play? And their completion percentage was within a tenth of a percent. It was 56.4% last year for Stanley in conference, 56.3% for Petrus. Touchdowns in nine conference games, it was nine touchdowns, seven interceptions. Now this year it's tilted through six games. I think it's what, four touchdowns, five interceptions. So obviously a bigger change, but the yardage, it's down about 30 yards a game. It went from uh, 220-ish down to uh, 190-ish a game. And while I'm like, well, that's a, you know, obviously a big drop. What surprised me was last year in conference, Stanley was, I think, fourth, third or fourth in the conference in yards per game at just 220. 
So I also had to think of some perspective with this is these are conference games late in the year and yardage in general is going to be down. So if they were getting that same yardage that they had last year with a pass game that wasn't outstanding, we would all think, okay, things are moving in the right direction. But it's the missing out on a couple big plays. You know, I could easily think of one pass a game that would give this offense 20 to 30 more yards, and it doesn't have to be a spectacular play. It's hit the open man. You know, one of the plays that I think like that you're talking about that I would just love to see. And I would love to see more double move um, patterns and just in general with some of the talented at that receiver, you know, just throw them out on a win route, let them win against man coverage, like set up a man beater just where a guy is isolated on the field, especially in college game where you can do a far hash and the field is a lot wider in between the hashes. And, you know, look at back last year with Nate Stanley and Amir against Minnesota and the first few plays that they ran from passing, it was literally just an in and out or a vertical from a post route, just and every single one of them won. And I'm waiting for the one where they just run it out and up, you know, because everybody knows that Petrus is ripping these outs and it's really one of the only throws that he can consistently make. And so what you have now is corners kind of squatting on those routes, waiting for him, and eventually it's going to get jumped. So I would, I would like to see sort of the play design take advantage of, or at least this anticipate some corner aggressiveness on these out routes, especially if Peters continues to struggle, just so that he can get that deep ball kind of, um, you know, just break through the ceiling of completing a deep pass. Because when you saw Nate Stanley last year, yeah, the offense, the passing offense really wasn't lighting up the world, but he had a lot of yards because he can complete balls 15 yards down the field when they should be completed. With Petrus, I don't have that same kind of belief in him, even if he's making the right read, even if he's going through his progressions correctly, even if he's throwing the right receiver. He just can't complete them. And I think that was evident by that pass to Nico Regani on the corner route to the end zone where the safety was just way out of position. It was a man, man coverage other than that. And Regani had about five feet of separation on him. That should have been a touchdown 10 times out of 10. And I guarantee that's a throw that Stanley can make and would make. And there's just a lot of throws that when, you know, when a guy is running that open, you just need to be able to make certain throws. Um, if you guys throw back to the Iowa State game when Nate Stanley was making his first career start, there was a lot of misses that he should make. And as his career went on, those were throws that he completed for the most part. He still had troubles with the vertical route and throwing 40 yards or 30 yards downfield. But the, 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 the patterns that he was able to complete, like the skinny post to Tyron Tracy against Wisconsin last season, or, you know, deep corner routes, those are throws that I have zero confidence in Petrus making this year, and it gives me concern for future as well. Early in the year, we, we kept mentioning there's a lot of things we liked. You know, the footwork was really good. The delivery was quick. The ball had zip okay, are those some of those misses just a lack of experience? And now that we're six games in, okay, the experience isn't great, but we haven't saw enough improvement on some of those things to make you feel really confident or comfortable. That doesn't mean he won't get there. And I've said it every week, this year, you're putting quarterbacks in a very difficult situation. And if you look around the league, 
compare Tanner Morgan compared to last year. Look at Clifford at Penn State. They're starting quarterbacks who look like completely different players this year than they did last year. Now, in both of those cases, there's a lot of there's a loss of weapons. And for Minnesota, the line play has really struggled at times. So you can attribute some of that. But I, so there is one of those things, and, and Coach Ferentz has mentioned it, that it's a really strange year. You haven't had all the reps that you normally would have. But for a big time, a Big Ten conference starting quarterback, there are throws that are not being made at all that need to be made. And it's, it's not like, well, they're not being made at high enough rate. Some of them are just never being made. Now, we have saw a little bit of improvement on some of the crossing routes. Those are getting better. Um, they're not where you need to be, but at least I'm seeing progress on those. But, and we'll talk about this later when we start talking about Illinois, but I don't have confidence in something that he's gonna get over a linebacker in between the safety. And the only routes you feel really confident with are those outbreaking routes that he can just fire in there. So that's the big thing to me that, you know, do we see some of those progressions going forward? And if not, yeah, there's concern. Yeah. And you mentioned those kind of throws. And I think the question, as we get more and more games under Petrus's belt and we get more and more film on him, and we really start to understand where he's at and where he could be or where we could project him to be. Right. The question's now going to become, Mm-hmm. is this a guy that's worth investing three years into? Because that's what this really, this season's going to come down to. And unfortunately that's kind of the nature of the college game. And with Spencer Be- Petrus being a sophomore, this is going to be one of potentially three years. If he just keeps lingering around and you just give him the quarterback position because he has the experience under his belt or he's keeping the offense on schedule. But when you're keeping a guy on the field for three years, you're keeping another guy off it. Um, that's just the inherent part of, especially at quarterback. There's no other way to use two quarterbacks. And so the question now becomes, is Alex Padilla getting screwed? Is Deuce Hogan potentially losing out? Are we losing out on potentially the Deuce Hogan, um, you know, uplift in future years? Because maybe he's ready in next year and they just hold on to Spencer Petrus. So the question really becomes, are Petrus's shortfalls right now and the areas where he's truly, we can evaluate him and say that, you know, these are the areas he struggles with. These are his weaknesses. Are they correctable? Are they developable? Are they even able to get to a baseline of just a playable standard? And man, there are some question marks, especially in the ability just to make plays out of structure that really concerned me because he looks terrified out there. You know, this is what game seven coming up against Illinois. So there, the game needs to start slowing down for him by the end of this season. And it has not looked like that even close, even remotely so far through six games. And I have to wonder if he just kind of is a guy that is going to go through these waves. And I don't know how much I should be, uh, attributing that to a lost preseason and everything that's going on. But I, it's, it's very rare that you see a guy who looks this shook at times during a game or makes those kind of questionable decisions just out of panic and turns it around is able to just be a guy who makes plays out of structure in the future. It's concerning when 
this offensive line has played so well and there's time when it's not that first read where he's obviously unsure of what to do. And I wonder, I think early in the year, there was a comment that they'd like to see him sometimes break pocket or run. And one I thought positive over the last two weeks is there are times where I think they've told him like one read, maybe two reads and then go. And I think that's been okay. He's, you know, maybe not picking up big yardage, but at this stage of this season, now you hope down the road, that's not the case, but at this stage of this season, I think that's okay. Like make your one read, make your two read. And if that's not there, look to use your feet to at least pick up a couple yards and then save your body. But I, and I think that's an okay use of him at this point in this stage, because you're not going to make massive improvements on that at this point. But my hope, and who knows what bowl season might look like, you know, if there is one, how many games get played, all of that. But you really hope looking forward that if you end your season and you have a couple weeks, and it's going to be obviously abbreviated compared to usual, but if you have a couple weeks, those things, you need to see improvement. You need to see some practice from that start to pay off because he has to have some pocket confidence, whether it's in his throw or whether it's protection, because the tools are there. There are enough other things there that you have to start seeing those steps forward to think, okay, this is the long-term plan. Yeah. And obviously we know that Petrus is an athlete too. You know, he's not, I, I get it. We haven't seen him run that much, but you, you see him on these seven step drops or on these, just him scrolling out or rolling out of the pocket. He's definitely a guy who has some speed and some giddy up and that has this sort of the long stride effect where it might look like he's going slow, but he's covering a lot of ground. And I mean, I even called a naked boot outside run for him this past weekend. And the unfortunate part is that was one of the first few design runs this year. And what happened on the end of that play was he got killed. So what an impression for your quarterback to get used to manufactured design runs. And then you just get squashed by a guy running full speed ahead, you know, 10 yards down the field, right into you at the, at the first down line. So I think there's going to be an aspect of, you know, just comfortability of being able to get outside the pocket. And I think that that's going to come with time as sort of he gets more comfortable, but will he get that time? And I think that, you know, we need to start seeing progression, like you said. And if we get to bowl season and it's still not there, I think that's when you start opening up debate on, you know, what should we do at that position moving forward? And with those runs, you know, it's a guy who, whose offense in high school was shotgun, spread it out, make, you know, one read and fire the ball. So it's not somebody who's had to manipulate the pocket or somebody who had to, who did a lot of uh, read action and making different, you know, movements, rolls outs. So it's somebody who hadn't done a lot of that, you know, prior to coming to Iowa, but since he's been in Iowa, he's been in the system long enough to do some of those, but he hasn't had meaningful minutes really, or meaningful snaps up until this point. And when you remove all the preseason stuff, it's just so such an incomplete for me. And there are a lot of things that I do worry about, but I have, it's just incomplete. So you hope over these last few weeks, you know, Illinois defensively, there are times they look awful and there are times they look decent. You know, when we start looking at that and talking about that, 
it really worries me thinking about a cover two team that's going to be sitting on those outside routes. And so what's open the seam, which he's got the arm, but we haven't saw that play connected a lot this year, but I don't have a lot of faith in him dropping one over the corner in between the safety. So where does that lead the offense? What, what plays do they call outside of they they've decided the, the play action swap boot and waggle has been by far the most common play for the past game over the last two weeks. They've gotten rid of uh, running back screen. They've added some wide receiver screen. We have, I could count on one hand, the top, the amount of times I've noticed them go four verts, which was a play that they ran all the time over the last two or three years. I mean, it was one of the, I felt like one of the most common pass plays they called just four verts and they would kill that seam to a tight end or to uh, Regani a lot of times from the slot. So they haven't run much of that. So it must mean they don't feel confident. So I have, I have some concerns looking at how the pass game is going to go against this Illinois defense who has struggled <laughs> defending the pass, but the things that they struggle, it's kind of like Nebraska. The, the back end has had a lot of struggles this year. Well, if you're not able to connect downfield, who cares what the back end struggles on? Yeah. And the way, and we're going to talk about, I don't want to get too far ahead, but when we talk about Illinois and, and that matchup with Iowa, my God, on paper, Illinois, the way they play defense is a nightmare for Spencer Peters and the way he's in the areas he struggled. So yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit after we talk about Iowa's defense, because they kind of saved the day. I mean, they were getting gashed all game in the passing game on quarterback scrambles, but when it came down to it, and we literally talked about it last week on the podcast, but on the game deciding sack fumble, Chauncey Golston was lined up in three at three tech opposite of Davion Nixon. And what happens? Literally what we talked about. The, the pass pro got shaded to Davion Nixon. Two guys are standing on him. Uh, Chauncey Golston has one-on-one um, pass, row, uh, pass rush rep with a right guard. And he just blows by. It was the easiest beat of all day for the pass rush. And obviously, you know, you get a sack fumble. Zach Van Volkenberg, again, just sitting in the right spot, making the right plays. You know, what were your some of your takeaways from this defense? Because, I mean, they kind of sealed the deal. Well, they absolutely abused Farniak at, at right guard. <laughs> I mean, part of it, too, he went up against Nixon. Good luck. And then Golson would slide inside, as you mentioned. And that's just another nightmare matchup for so many guards with his length and quickness. So they made the plays when they need to. The first half, they were giving up tons of chunk plays. Some of it was uh, some of Nebraska's design with getting a running back where they'd have Wandale Robinson at running back and just sprinting him out and throwing it with two or three blockers in front of him and only two or three defenders. So they were going to win that numbers advantage and the Iowa players uh, on the perimeter weren't able to get there. So there were some things that Nebraska was doing that was causing them some troubles with that. So the first half, there'd be a few great plays, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, third and 14, or what was it, third and 21. <laughs> and then, you know, you rush three because you're worried about the run, and they complete a play, or you have them backed up, I think, inside their own 10 or so, and it's third down, and you give up a, a long quarterback run. So there were times those chunk plays hurt them, but I mean, down the stretch in that second half, yeah, Martinez was connecting and had a high completion rate, but they weren't doing anything 
that was hurting Iowa. You know, outside that very first possession where they really had the most success running and a few different things. But in the fourth quarter, I mean, it was time for the defense to win, and they did. They won on the perimeter. They won at front. I mean, Nixon and Golson continue to just shine in every way. Van Valkenburg was solid again. Uh, Heflin didn't flash on a lot of plays, but I thought he played well. And the linebacking core, it was another 12 tackles for Neiman. He plays, continues to move up the ladder. And Benson and Campbell were good once again. I mean, Jack Campbell, two or three times a game, just blows me away with, with what he does. Now, he missed what should have been a big sack on a third down play. Uh, came on a blitz, untouched. Uh, Martinez sidestepped him just enough. Uh, that's a play you want to see him make. But, you know, the linebacking core and the safeties, once they got things sorted out, I thought, you know, 20 points, that's all they need to do enough to get the win. Yeah, Jack Campbell, man, he is – he one, he's the most explosive and he's the best athlete of all the linebackers they have in that 6'5", 230-plus pound frame, which is just insane. And when he – man, when he makes some tackles behind the line of scrimmage, it's just like I don't remember any Iowa linebacker being that athletic and making those kind of plays. Josie Jewell made those kind of plays, but it was a guy just taking great angles and really reading a play really well and just relying on his keys and his play study. But Jack Campbell looks like just a train wreck, like shooting a lane and exploding onto a running back and blowing up a play when he makes a play. So I love watching him play. Like you said, Nick Neiman, another great week. He is, he has stepped into a completely different role this season and he's, probably exceeded all of my expectations. I don't know about other people, but I, I thought that last year when he was sort of slotted inside or asked to make plays inside, he kind of struggled with his run fits. This year, it's a totally different kind of player. And I've been so impressed with him, and he's really stepped up for a big way for this defense. Um, you know, like we've talked about, at least like I've talked about in past podcasts, I've always had an issue with Matt Hankins' ability to make tackles on the edge. And throughout this game, that's sort of been, that was sort of the crutch for Iowa's defense. They kind of targeted him. They kept running him out. They just said, you know, make a play. And he was struggling to make plays until the very end. When the defense stepped up, he made a play. Obviously, the Nebraska player got injured on that play. But, you know, before that, obviously, it's a great play from just a football standpoint. Um, you know, obviously, I wish, I don't wish ill will on Nebraska, no matter how, how many jokes we kind of crack on them. But, Matt Hankins making that play was the, it, it just kind of felt like a, a confidence boost. And it? it just felt like finally, I'm, I'm finally making a play um, in the spot where I'm supposed to make a play. And it's in a big time situation too. Well, you mentioned it in the pod leading up to that, that you could see, okay, what's worst case scenario for Iowa. You know, Nebraska doesn't turn the ball over. Iowa does. They one place they could target on defense is those perimeter plays and, getting Matt Hankins to have to make some tackles in space. And while he's been really good as a corner and in coverage, he's struggled in some of those. And there are times where I've watched him be a really good tackler, but he's like hesitant. And then that was the one play where, like you said, he just went and made a play. He stuck his nose in there and made a physical football play. And that's exactly what the defense needed at that moment. So those are the sort of things that, you know, while it wasn't going to plan maybe for the whole time, 
at the end of the day, guys have to make football plays. He made one. And then to, to finish it off, Chauncey Golson made, I told, told a friend of mine, I'm like, that's just a grown man play. You know, you throw the guard to the side and you go drill the quarterback. Perfect technique. Put his head on the backside throwing shoulder. His left arm went right to the right arm and elbow and his right arm wrapped the waist. So you're going for the ball, but you're making the hit and you're for sure getting the sack. And then Van Valkenburg, the guy in the right spot at all times, I think four fumble recoveries through six games. I mean, it's incredible. <laughs> yeah, he's been just on another level of just being in the right spot. Um, how many plays is he going to make? I mean, I thought at first it was going to be ruled an interception by him which would be incredible. I mean, he's just padded all the right stats. He had the three-sack game. He's had fumble recoveries, had forced fumbles, then a pick. But they ruled it, I, I think, a, a, it's it's officially a sack fumble, right? It's not an interception. Okay. Yeah. I. <laughs> what a play that was. I mean, that's just so fun when, you know, Iowa's defense is put in a spot because leading up to that sack fumble, Nebraska was moving the ball. You know, they had just, I believe it was two straight completions, one for about 20 yards down the seam. And it was just one of those throws that it, it just kind of felt like, you know, after the doink by Keith Duncan to make it a nine point game that, oh man, Nebraska's going to get down to that end zone and it's going to come down to like a three second play, almost like Penn State last or two years ago, right? Um, when, or was it? Yeah. They had three two, years? Two years. Two, two or three. I might have been. Nah, three years, three years, three years, three years. Yeah, it, just, it felt like that was gonna happen again with the whole Trace McSorley and oh man, but I'm glad they make made a play. Um, and I guess that's I, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to say about the Iowa defense in this one? I mean, just week in week out, that is a defense that is making plays, making things happen. Uh, the number of tackles for loss that they're producing this year. And a lot of it is because somebody like Nixon, uh, they've been so good at putting opponents behind the sticks by making tackles for loss, uh, getting those sacks, being creative with some of their blitz packages. Uh, another week of, you know, sending guys off um, the corner, sending linebackers on different blitzes. So another really, uh, you know, great game plan by Phil Parker. And while there were times in the first half, I was really frustrated in the end. I mean, he pushed the right buttons and they shut him out in the fourth quarter. And if you want to win games like that, that's what you have to do. Put the clamps on him in the fourth quarter. Yeah. I, I love seeing the defense kind of step up like that. It, it always has felt like on the good Iowa teams, it is kind of been the defense that's a saving grace as opposed to, you know, most other college football teams where their offense, you know, they have a star quarterback or a star running back. And they try to basically win that way when they need to come back. When Iowa needs to come back, it's like, all right, we need a three, we need a three and out. And they'll go and get a three and out. Or they need a turnover. Iowa's defense will get a turnover. It's been like that uh, for the most part this year. You know, even going back to the Northwestern game, which obviously wasn't the end result we were looking for. But three interceptions, and I was still in that game because their defense was just holding strong. They were making turnovers. They were getting to the quarterback. They were, they were stout against the run. That's just kind of been the theme of the 2020 season for that defense. You know, they, they might get gashed early, like against Penn State, or they might give up some yards against, you know, Purdue. But they always try to, you know, stand tall, and they always make a lot, they make a lot of plays that they 
sort of the team needs them to make, which is really cool. But, you know, let's transition into talking about Illinois because, um, like we talked about earlier, this is a really interesting matchup, um, especially in regards to just how, um, on paper, they're going to be able to defend Spencer Petras and this passing offense for Iowa. So what are sort of your um, initial impressions or what are you looking forward to in this matchup with Iowa's offense versus Illinois' defense? As you're looking at it, what Illinois team is showing up is always <laughs> one question. And, and that's not just for the offense. Obviously, we'll get to some of the things from offense. But defensively, it's times where that front seven have guys that can get after the quarterback, have guys that can hold run lanes. And they're the team that when you watch them, they know what they're doing. At least it's not like when you're watching, getting ready to watch Minnesota. It's, I don't know if these guys know what a run fit is. I don't know if they have any clue about what gap responsibilities they have. Illinois is not that way. Now it's a team that has some guys that have come up and just played a lot over the last couple of years. When Levy took over those first couple of years, it was just clear everybody out, play a ton of freshmen and watch those guys grow. And some of those guys on the defensive end, especially have grown into some nice players where they've struggled at times and they've really struggled on the back end. And it's a spot where you worry, does Iowa have the right, the right pieces to attack it now cover two. So those soft gaps between the corner and the safety on the perimeter, Petrus has the arm strength to fit in the windows. Can he do it accurately accurately, and make the right read? And the other spot is those seam routes. Well, Sean Beyer and Sam Laporta, you know, here's your time to shine. Not that they haven't been good this year, but here's your time to eat up the middle of the field against this team. And when I'm looking at what's Iowa's biggest advantage, to me, that's it. It's those linebackers, or it's the uh, tight ends against those linebackers. And... Iowa has two tight ends that can make plays that can catch the ball and make plays in the open field. So that's the part where I'm interested to see is how does Iowa utilize those two and can they clear maybe space running those guys up the seam and sneak in Amir or Nico or Tyrone underneath it and get some big yardage that way. You said it, you know, the thing with Lovey Smith and this Illinois defense that has been very clear throughout his little tenure so far at Illinois is he absolutely refuses to shut off the middle of the field at any single point pre-snap. The safeties are always going to have that middle field open, just daring offenses to throw it over the top, throw it through those seam patterns to those tight ends like Sean Beyer and Sam Laporta. They're basically daring you to make those kinds of throws because they don't want to get beat to the flat, beat on outs. They want their corners to be aggressive and, you know, try to pick off those out routes. So this could genuinely be Spencer Peters' last game as a starting quarterback for Iowa football, I think, if things just don't go well. Um, because he's going to be asked to make throws that he has not looked good making so far throughout his first six games. And that's just the truth. If this is going to be a really big tell-all kind of game, and I could see Spencer Peters getting into trouble. I could see him missing a lot of throws. Um, this is going to be an interesting one just because they're going to be daring him to basically make the throws that he has struggled so much to make through the first six games. 
And yeah, their back end's not great. But when you're basically scheming, um, your the other opposing offenses, um, you know, the weakness to become their positive or their strength to carry them through. That's gonna be that's always an interesting dynamic, and sometimes it doesn't go the way of you know how we would want it to go. <laughs> and, and we can talk about that. What it probably comes down to is how does Iowa run the ball? But that ties into their ability to pass because they're going to have to do mix in a little bit of both. The play action game is important. It has to be important for this team, but it's going to come down to how well do they run the ball? Now I did read, there's a chance that uh Koi Kronk might be okay to play a little right tackle and um, offensively Jack Plum has stepped in as the third guy at that position and held his own. Did he get beat on a couple plays? Yeah. Um, was he great? You know, but for a third, the third option really at that spot, I, I thought he played pretty well against some guys that Nebraska puts on those ends in their three, four that, that can be, you know, matchup problems, but can Iowa get the push up the middle is the question. And I think the answer is yes. Uh, we saw Kyler Schott get back in and, and he helped. He rotated a lot with Cody Ince and a little bit with uh, Banwert. So those three mixed in at guard. So can they get some push from that? And I don't know if Schott gives them a big boost in the run game, uh, but in pass protection, he's really good. So we're going to learn something. And to me, what I'm interested in is, how much faith do the, does this coaching staff have in what they ask Petrus to do? So that's the thing, that first quarter I'm going to be watching. What are the play calls they're making? Is everything off of play action and just something underneath, something safe? Do they have him throw down the seam? Do they have him take a deep play action shot? You know, Because if they are in that cover two and those two safeties are high and they have that deep responsibility, do you take a shot? Do you give... Amir or Brandon Smith a chance to make a play deep and on the edge. So are they going to let him or are they going to just have their finger on him the whole time saying, don't screw this one up? You know, and there's going to be opportunities to make those kind of throws in this game. There's just has been all year for Illinois against Illinois defense. Um, and I think Spencer is going to have to make those throws. I, I, I think they're going to be just sitting on, um, they're going to watch a lot of what Nebraska was doing and basically saying, all right, let's just slant our defensive line. Let's just trust our linebackers to try to make plays and just shoot without hesitation. And let's see if Spencer Petrus can make throws over the middle. You know, let's, let's buzz our, our safeties a little bit. Let's buzz our corners a little bit. Let's just try to get underneath and make him make throws over the top. That's what I would do. I, I, there hasn't been a game all year where Spencer has made those kind of bucket kind of throws over the middle and when he's been asked to do it, it's, it's been kind of a disaster so far. And it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out. I'm super excited for it. Um, I'm, I'm obviously pulling for Spencer. I, I, I don't want to root against anybody. Um, and I think that there's so much potential with him that I would love for him to take that next step. Just also shove it in the face of all, those, all these people talking trash and, and just sort of shitting on him for, you know, what he's doing as a quarterback. He's, I, I'm pulling for the guy. That's all I'm trying to say. He's got a shot and he has the ability to make those plays. Like the raw tools are there. I just uh, went to look last year. Iowa completed six passes 
beyond 20 yards down the field against Illinois. So there are the chances, and most of those are going to be on the perimeter with the safety sitting on the, those inside, sitting on those hashes and work, working their zones. But there are going to be plays to be made. And the other thing I looked is who's getting targeted. So last year uh, with those plays, there were a lot of targets to uh, the outside guys. So this was the game that Brandon Smith didn't play last year. But in the targets, so Iowa threw the ball 35 times. Tyrone Tracy was targeted 10 times the most. Amir was targeted eight times, the second most. And then three tight ends were targeted a combined 12 times. So this was a game where Regani in the slot and Goodson out of the backfield didn't see nearly as many targets just the way they're going to defend it. So here's a chance for guys on the outside who are waiting for that breakout game. Is this the game where Amir or Brandon has that breakout game? Do we see one of those guys you know, make a big play? Do we see those guys get to 80, 90 yards individually? Can we see multiple touchdowns passing? Like, please, yeah, sign me up for that. Let's find some of that in this offense. And there's going to be chances for those guys and these two tight ends to make plays against this Illinois team. And then after they make that catch, make a guy or two miss, and then secure the ball. Because we have had Brandon Smith fumble a couple times trying to get upfield you know and Amir had one last week where I mean he was kind of stumbling so that's one yeah you need to secure it a little more but he made the first guy you know dove by and he started to stumble a little bit but then those guys have to be careful uh, those two especially getting upfield because this is an opportunistic defense that as long as Lovey Smith is coached anywhere you know they're going to look to punch the ball out they're going to look to get turnovers so that's going to be paramount in a game like this where you're the favorite and you should win this game. And the only thing that probably might keep you from that is turnovers. Yeah. And we talked about it last week against Nebraska. Like one of the key things for Nebraska to stay in that game would be Spencer Peters making turnovers. That's not what we really talked about um, before and after the pod and, and during the pod last week. Um, when you look at this Illinois offense, this was an area for this team that really got hit hard by the COVID buck. You know, it wasn't just Minnesota in the big 10. They got really nailed by this, um, by COVID. It was Illinois. And we saw it in the, in the first few games that they played, which I don't really think are indicative of how, you know, I don't think this Illinois team is necessarily a good team or a, a, or a bowl eligible team in a, in a regular year, but they're not that bad they have some bright spots. They have some good moments. Um, Brandon Peters has shown a lot of promise and some moments as well. Uh, Mike Epstein's a really good running back. He's had some weeks where the offensive line just doesn't get enough push, but as a guy who can just get in space and make plays, you know, that another week of maybe targeting Matt Hankins, maybe going to the outside, getting to the outside. And it's going to be interesting to see how Illinois offensive attack is because they do have a little bit of, you know, juice and excitement on this offense to at least make some plays against um, a defense that we've seen be susceptible at times against Penn State and against uh, Nebraska. One thing that at least Iowa has going for them is, yeah, Brandon Peters can run a little bit. He can scramble. And I think last year he had one game where he ran for over 100 yards. But that's not going to be the focus or the focal point of their offense. Um, it is going to be their two running backs who do help them and make them go. 
And obviously some of their games where they looked terrible early in the year, a lot of that was because Peters was out. And they were down to their fourth string quarterback at one point. And I'm sure if we put the Iowa offense in that situation, <laughs> it would make both sides of the ball look pretty poor because you're turning it over. You're not moving the ball, puts your defense in tough spots. The other interesting thing is they were off last week. They did not play against Ohio State. So <clears throat> how many of those guys were sitting out? You know, have they been able to practice a lot? Not sure. So that's going to be interesting. Have they been able to game plan and figure out some things that they want to take away from this Iowa team? <clears throat> and, and that's the part where, where I don't know. Uh, but you look at Iowa's track record over the last few years against Illinois, and it's hard not to think, well, does Iowa just beat them up? And is Iowa just more disciplined, more physical? So we've talked, there are limits offensively, but the place where Illinois has struggled outside of the occasional quarterback play is their offensive line is going to have a really tough time against this Iowa defensive line. Their best player is their left guard. Uh, so he's going to be matched up. He's going to have to deal with Jack Heflin all day. So maybe not the guy that's going to make a lot of plays, you know, in the backfield, but a guy who over the course of 50, 60 snaps, you just don't want to see he's going to win those battles or at least hold his end of the bargain up. So now all of a sudden you've got the other four guys have to deal with the rest of the Iowa line, along with blitzing linebackers that they've been bringing. As you've said, this is not a Phil Parker sit back and just let you make plays underneath defense this year. Benson, Neiman, Campbell, when he is in there, he's a fireball. Like they're coming. And Brandon Peters isn't somebody who's just going to be able to sidestep and you're not worried about him getting eight to 10 quarterback draw calls like you might've been. So it's a chance for the defensive line to pin their ears back at times. And that's where I see this defense, you know, winning that battle and really making things hard for the Illinois offense. Yeah. This would be a game where I would just love for them to turn Davion Nixon loose. I, I understand that on 90% of the snaps, he's getting doubled, you know, whether it's a run or if it's pass pro, they just have the center over there to help. But at some point, just just let him try to split those double teams and stop playing, you know, this contain role, okay? Use a linebacker in that contain role. Just suck it up. Bring. <laughs> I know we've gone to this 4-2-5, and there's one less linebacker out there. But do something to make it so that your best player isn't just sitting back, picking up the cleanup sacks, or racing down a quarterback to the outside. Let him try to win in this game because I think that no matter what, no, even if they do double team him, He's going to make – he could get four sacks in this game, and I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, obviously that's kind of hyperbole or hyperbolic to an extent, but I really do think he could just blow up this Illinois offensive line, and I want to see it. Um, I want to see him, and I want to see Chauncey just kind of pinning their ears back and making plays. And, yeah, if you're, in a, if you're calling this game this week, and I don't know who or what uh, network is broadcasting the game, but – change your narrative. Iowa is a blitzing team. Now they are not sitting back. They're not playing passive. They're unloading. They're probably, I don't know what the stats are. I don't, I don't have them right in front of me, but I guarantee you that they're in the upper echelon for power five teams and just blitz percentage per snap on defense. So change your narrative because I'm so tired <laughs> every single week of them saying, well, Iowa doesn't really blitz a lot. We, as, as they blitz, <laughs> Yes, two linebackers are, are firing 
through the gap like oh you know that's that's unusual no like turn on the film that's not unusual this year this year and you know to their credit they went in and decided to go make plays that way and they've you know have used then some of those zone blitzes where they're backing guys off but as you said this is a game where we could see nixon have another just massive game i mean his his numbers right now through six games he has five sacks you know a whole slew of tackle for losses you know but he has been fantastic and and golson is is doing a lot of the things that i'd always hoped to see out of him you know you just watch him and there's things like man with that frame that length his agility like he could go make plays and we're seeing more of that but i think this is the game where we see this iowa front seven but really this front four put it on their backs and i think illinois is going to have a really hard time generating much offense consistently yeah maybe they make a few plays here and there but consistently it's going to be a tough sled for them yeah and i'm glad you brought up about chauncey because we talked about it on the pod maybe three episodes ago or or four episodes ago maybe even two but um we talked about basically chauncey golson getting pressure but not really finishing sacks off and over the last two or three games he just kind of threw it right back in our face because he's been finishing a lot of plays and on top of those pressures. And last week, what happens? He seals the game for Iowa by getting a hit on the quarterback and making a play and finishing a play. So I love to see that because that's what we, we knew that he could already do if he just added that, you know, that last minute detail to his game in college. And I'm glad I was sort of reaping the benefits of that before he goes on and becomes a successful pro, which I believe he will be. Um, but minus 12 and a half Iowa, that's, that's the line for this game. Um, I think it's, it's, it's a close one, but what, what are your sort of thoughts on uh, one covering the spread and just, and just the result outright? I think Iowa gets the win. Uh, I, I'm going to go that they don't cover again, but Part of me, I've been leaning that way, but over the last day or so, I'm like, man, do they just do it again to Illinois where they just rough them up early? And, you know, is it another game where you get two running backs close to 100 yards? And I don't think that's going to be the case. I just think Iowa has, has too many questions right now with the passing game. So I think it's a game that that is under the 12 and a half. But, you know, if, if you're you're hitting up the, the local uh, sports book, you know, it might be a game where you say, you know, do they have an option for Iowa plus 20 you know, <laughs> at, at good odds? Because as easy as I could see this game being close, I could see Iowa just go in there, mop them up, win by 20 plus. But everything I've said, I think Illinois is going to have a tough time um, moving the Iowa front four. I think that Iowa is going to find a way to make plays. You know, who knows? Tory Taylor's probably going to make another guy drop the ball. <laughs> because I mean, he's just a magician with that ball, the way it, it moves through the air and what he's doing. So we could see that we could see a few turnovers, but I think Iowa probably, uh, I think this one's around that, you know, I think 28 to 20 right in that range, you know, very similar to last week where the Iowa offense does some really nice things, looks really sluggish at times. The defense might give up a big play or two but for the most part really contains the game. And this week, I don't think it's, you know, the uh, defense or offense making the big play. It's finally going to be the big special teams play. We're either going to see a big return, 
uh, on a kick or a punt. I mean, Charlie Jones has been fantastic on punt returns. He has one. Could we see another? Or do we see some, some trickery? Do we see a fake kick of some sort? I, I don't know. I just got a feeling against Illinois, you know, Ferentz is having fun in post games, or at least we're having fun with what Ferentz <laughs> is doing in post games. Yeah. I think that bleeds over. Something cool on special teams happens. I like it. I, I want, I want, I think that I have a feeling too that it's going to be, there's going to be a weird touchdown in this game for Iowa, whether it's a, you know, another big man pick six or a punt return touchdown or just something wacky or a kick return, maybe even for Amir. Maybe Amir gets on the board as a special, uh, special teamer this, this week. Um, I do think this is a game where I was probably in control throughout the game and just something in the back of my mind has an inkling that Illinois is going to hit that backdoor cover, almost like the Eagles against the Seahawks on Monday night football. I feel like it's going to be something like that where, you know, it's, it's a 15 point game throughout and then a last second touchdown um, with no real hope in sight. They just kind of hit it and and cover and win by and Iowa only wins by 12 or 11. (laughs) going to be one of those backdoor covers like the Iowa basketball team saw Oof. with the uh, half court shot right before the, the buzzer. So maybe one of those, but you know, if it, if it results in, in the win, um, <laughs> still take it. But yeah, I, I totally could see something like that going on. And uh, I just have the special teams. is the big thing that I see with this game. I think Iowa finds something um, and gets a big play out of that. I agree. And I, I'm looking forward to this one because I think that's going to be, a really telling game, and I think this is a game that Iowa should win, which always is going to make me happy. I don't, I don't like stressing necessarily every single Saturday, um, <laughs> like last week. But you know, with that said, uh, Thad and I would like to thank you guys for checking out another podcast. This is, I believe, our seventh week in a row churning these out. That's kind of that's kind of impressive, isn't it? <laughs> it's uh, it's been a lot of fun, and and we appreciate everything that everybody's you know hit us up with whether it's questions or comments and we're having fun doing that. And after four straight wins, it, you know, it's just a lot, a lot happier times, a lot more jovial to talk about wins than after those first two weeks. Yeah. Literally our first three episodes, we were talking about nothing but losses. So um, (laughs) not, not the best, you know, mindset to always be in when everything is just doom and gloom and everything is going wrong and fire everybody. I was in a much better place than they were after week two and we're grateful for that (laughs) but with that said i would like to thank you guys or we would like to thank you guys for checking out another week at the podcast and like that said keep churning out those comments you know share the podcast when you see it all that helps us Uh, we've been really appreciating your guys' support and we will see you in a future podcast take it easy